0: Going through Romans uh, 5, 6 through 11. All right. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation uh let's pray uh, Father God, Lord, um what a privilege Lord, to be able to to teach your word and uh I pray that you use me, Lord, to um, relay truth to grace here Lord um please help me be clear, Father, and I pray that uh, you uh, move i guess uh, and, in this uh, church, Lord, and um, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you tonight, that you saved them, Father. Um, we need you, Lord. Uh, we love you. Ready our hearts for the word, Lord, and um, please use me in whatever way you can. Uh, Lord, we love you, and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks for coming out, guys. Um, tonight, like I said before, I'm preaching on Romans 5, uh, 6 through 11. Um, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, Romans is actually my favorite book. Uh, I named my son Roman, uh, so I (laughs) love the book. Um, this is a, a passage that I've constantly kind of went back to, um, throughout my walk. It's, uh, just very, very encouraging. Um, I hope that you guys are encouraged too, um, as we study it, right? So, um, to understand these verses, uh, fully will need to uh, first understand what came before them. So here's just a quick recap. Uh, Paul starts this letter to the church in Rome by outlining how we all fall short of God's standard of perfection. His wrath falls on all who are guilty of unrighteousness. Gentiles are guilty. Jews are guilty. We are all guilty of rebellion against God. uh, Guilty of sin. Romans 1, through 31 says this, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, Haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's a lot, right? And uh, this is us, guys. This is uh, who we are by, by nature. We're inventors of evil. This is pretty clear, right? If we just look at the scripture. It's pretty clear. Um, What Paul's doing here is he's building his argument, right? In Romans chapters 1 through 3, he clearly defines who we are in light of who God is. We are truly, truly wicked. We are evil. Paul is pretty much showing us how much God's righteousness is absent from who we inherently are further revealing what we, need to, what we need to stop marching to hell. Because that's what we're doing, essentially. Um, we need God's righteousness. But Paul just explained how we cannot be righteous, right? So how do we fulfill something that's impossible? Well, we don't, right? We can't. Uh, the end of chapter 3 all the way through uh, chapter 5, is Paul explaining how uh, God imputes or he uh, attributes his righteousness to us so that we can be justified, saved, made right. Now, uh, Paul first describes the righteousness of God, then he illustrates it. So uh, Romans 4.4 4 says this, Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited, to, credited as a favor, but as what is due but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Faith, right? Faith, not in what I can do, but faith in the one who justifies the wretch. The one who justifies the ungodly, the sinner, right? God justifies. Now, chapter, chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 11, talks specifically about the benefits of God's righteousness and what justification through faith in him means for believers in Christ. Faith in Christ justifies us, gives us peace. Not only this, it gives us joy, right? This truth creates joy in the believer, changes our entire outlook in life, or at least it should, right? Paul goes on to further expound on how justification changes everything. So, in chapter 5, or uh, yeah, excuse me, yeah, chapter 5, verses uh, 3 and 4 say this. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. We are to exalt, find joy in our tribulations, in our sufferings, guys. How often do we do this, truly? We don't do it. I know I don't do it much, right? This is how justification and faith in Christ, standing firmly in his grace and knowing of the glory to come, changes how we view the world and our circumstances and how we see God. This makes no sense to the world, right? We exult in trials because perseverance proves our character, like Scripture says. Perseverance proves our character, that we have been transformed by Christ, which proves we have a certain hope, right? Hope in the glory of God. And we are joyful because of this. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God because this hope is something we know is confirmed it won't disappoint why because god loves us this is a verse five chapter five verse five it says this and hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out within our hearts through the holy spirit who was given to us in fact The Greek word used for poured is better translated um, as a continuous pouring, right? It's a, a pouring to the point of overflowing. Imagine pouring water into a cup, right? But instead of stopping when it's full, you continue to pour as the water starts to overflow out of the cup and onto the table around you. And, you know, onto the table until it's all around you, essentially. This is God's love Poured into our hearts through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Now, um, keep this idea in mind, right, as we go through uh, verses 6 through 11, okay? So, let's uh, read verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So, verse 6 is a direct response to verse 5, okay, and displays the love God has for us. Paul describes us as helpless, meaning we're weak. We're utterly helpless. There's nothing in us that seeks for God. Nothing in us that seeks for God. And that's a callback to uh, what, what, we, uh, what, what Paul said in, in uh, chapter one, right? Um, we're stuck in our sin and we're stuck in our ungodliness. We're convinced and certain we don't need God, right? This is who we are before Christ. Uh, We're unregenerate in our sin. There's nothing we can do in this state to escape. Nothing we can do in ourselves, right? Now, uh, someone in here, maybe, right now, might be thinking, but this isn't me, right? This isn't me. Um, I'm a good person. I don't sin, and if I do, it's not much. Well, we need to be comparing ourselves to God, right? Right? not Hitler or your unbelieving coworker or friend. We aren't defined by the sin we do. We're defined by the inherent depravity that we have inherited from Adam. Right? Sinner is who we are. So when Paul speaks of the ungodly, of the helpless, he's speaking about us. He's speaking about you. But At the right time, he died for sinners. He died for us that wanted nothing to do with him. Right? Uh, In God's sovereignty, the moment you were saved was always going to be the moment of your salvation. From the beginning of time. Before the foundation of the earth. Right? But it's also safe to say that at the moment of my salvation, at the moment... God chose to save me. My sinfulness came to a head. I will never be as depraved and sinful as I was the moment before Christ justified me. Because now my heart is overflowing with his love through the Holy Spirit who's inside of me. But this is the point of the verse and the point Paul is trying to make. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the sinner at their worst. He died for the sinner at their worst. Let's read verse 6 one more time. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There are two extremes here, right? Christ and ungodly. Complete opposites. Sinners, lacking love, without joy, haters of God. One is everything God is not. The other is God himself. Love, love incarnate, God in the flesh. What love is this that the creator of the universe would die for me And you, sinners to our core. I did not want this. I wasn't searching for it. But this is the depth of God's unexplainable love. Right? Now, Paul in verse 7 wants us to really understand his point as he doubles down. Now, let's read verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. The difference here between a righteous man and a good man is something uh, scholars and people have been debating for centuries, right? Uh, I could give you possible explanations or what I think the difference may be, but this is what Paul was trying to get across. While we might die for someone that is morally good or for someone we love, like a spouse or a child, this is our love right? This makes sense. This makes perfect, logical sense. I might die for my wife or son or daughter, right? I think there's a a pretty decent chance of me doing that. I think I would die for my my wife. I mean, you know, they're my family. But that's exactly it. That is it right there. Let's read verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I know I wouldn't die for someone that's evil, someone that's evil and hates me. Why would I do that? Why would anyone do that? This is the love we as humans express, right? But this is exactly what Christ did. He died for people who hate him, people who blaspheme him, people who disrespect him. He did this to demonstrate his love toward us. This, guys, this is the overflowing cup. This is his love being poured out. This is the love of God. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the price God paid For the good news, he sacrificed his very own son. Would anyone in here sacrifice their children for someone who hated you? Someone who did everything in their power to undermine you? This is the price of the gospel, and someone had to pay it. And it just so happened that God knew the price, and he paid it himself. For us, haters of God. Now, keep in mind that the Son of God dying is the price of the gospel. Or, excuse me, yeah, well, keep that in mind. And I keep mentioning this, right, that the Son of God dying is the price of the gospel. But do we truly understand this price, right? The one through which all things were made. The radiance of the glory of God, the imprint of God Himself. He died a gruesome death He did not deserve. The perfect God who holds the universe up on His shoulders died for us, helpless and weak sinners, undeserving of anything, let alone justification. Doesn't this impact you? This should move us. It should. No one in this room should walk out without knowing that because of your sin, the price of the gospel was the death of God himself for your sake. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yet, here we are. And I'm eternally grateful That God demonstrated his love for me while I was yet a sinner. He died for me. I was uninterested. His death proves our need for him. And further reveals his love for us. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in our tribulations and our sufferings and our trials because of the overflowing love God is pouring into our hearts by his sacrifice on the cross. This is why we are secure in him, right? This is why our hope in him will not disappoint. This is it because he loves us. Because of his love, his love. Paul uses verses 7 and 8 to contrast our love and God's love, right? To show just how different the two are. His love is unique, ours makes sense, right? God, he demonstrates his own love. His love is unheard of, his love is impossible to experience and know outside of Christ himself. Uh, Next, we see the result of Christ's death. We see what was bought with Jesus's life. Let's read uh, verse nine. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So uh, some might interpret this, as the physical blood, right, that Jesus and, uh, and, and the suffering that he endured, the, the physical blood that was shed by Jesus during his scourging and his crucifixion. Now, we know that the bloodshed was immense, right? It was, it was, it was, a, it was a lot. But Paul was not talking about this. Uh, the context of Romans suggests Paul is speaking of, blood, of his blood as sacrificial, right? Um, Israel had a sacrificial system. So, Israel had to sacrifice animals to God, and by their blood, Israel's sins were atoned. This sacrificial system was pivotal to a right standing with God because the weight of sin is heavy, and God, being just, must punish sin. Right? This language Paul uses suggests Jesus was the necessary sacrifice. He was the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice to atone for all the sin of those who would believe. So, after being justified, made right by Jesus's sacrificial blood, we are saved from the wrath and punishment of God through him, him being Christ. Now, Do we truly understand what Paul is saying here? This only expounds and further creates that divide between our love and the indescribable love God has for us. Right? So let me get this straight. The price of the gospel was Jesus' life because of my extraordinary sin. Okay? So the price of the gospel was Jesus' life because of my sin. The result of this death is my salvation from wrath? Wait, let me... Okay, so the price of the gospel was the life of God because of my sin. So, in effect, the result of this death, the result of God's dying on the cross is now my salvation. That doesn't make any sense, guys. So, let's keep going, though. So, let's look at verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. For, the word for, right, in the beginning of the sentence is Paul further explaining the idea he introduced in verse 9, okay? Okay? He says that while we were enemies, hostile to God, he reconciled us to himself. Now, let's stop right there. Okay? Paul uses another word to describe us here. Enemies. He calls us enemies. I mean, I don't know how much clearer Paul needs to be. Right? Not only do we not want God, we are enemies of God. We we hate God. So... He made enemies right with himself through the death of his own son. How can anyone say God does not love us? We were helpless, weak, good for nothing. We were enemies. Yet, God sent his son to die for us. Going further, though, Paul says God reconciles us, right? Right? So, the idea is that we were far from God. Our uh, relationship with Him was bad. But by the death of Christ, by the death of His Son, He brought us back to Himself. Wow. What a good God that we serve, who, who didn't leave me to my own devices, who intervened on my behalf so that I could be with him. His death did this. His death did this. This was his death. His death freed us from wrath and reconciled us. But his life, his life saves us. In his life, we now live. This is why we exult and rejoice in trials and in tribulation. We live in him now. We live in Christ because we have faith in Christ because of his death that justified us and his life that saved us. But Paul is not done, right? So in verse 11, he, he kind of doesn't finish his point because he, he's building this argument, like I said, but let's read verse 11. And not only this, But we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. Not only are we saved, we also exult, are joyful. We rejoice in God Himself through the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus. It's through Him. We we can be in communion with God. So let's let's really take this in. I actually like uh, the ESV translation a little better um, when it comes to the beginning of this verse eleven um, than in the NASB. Um, more than that is what it said in the ESV. Instead of and not only this, more than that I think really showcases uh, how Paul is elevating what he is about to say as higher than what he previously said, right? He's building this argument. So more than that, but more than what? More than what? What's he talking about, right? So let's look at the last few verses we just studied, right? So let's look at verse nine. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, Christ, verse 10 much more having been reconciled reconciled rather we shall be saved by his life more than justification more than being saved and freed from wrath more than reconciliation we re- exalt we rejoice in god because of jesus justifying us because of Jesus reconciling us back to God, we can personally delight in and enjoy God forever. This is the end of the gospel. This is the prize we receive, God himself. This is why we're saved. The price of the gospel is God in Christ The prize of the gospel is God in Christ. The entire gospel is centered on who God is, what he has done, and what he has given us. He is at the center of every step, every process of the gospel. This is why we are here tonight, guys. This is why we're here, right? This is why we come to church This is why we read our Bibles. This is why we serve in our local body. This is why we love our families. Men, this is why we lead our families faithfully. Women, this is why you take care of the home and teach our children. Children and young adults. This is why you obey and honor your parents. This is why we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And this is why we rejoice in trials and tribulations and suffering. Because Christ died for our sins. And because through his life, we can forever and ever for all eternity rejoice in him. We shouldn't ever Mope around with a woe is me attitude and demeanor. And I know I'm guilty of this, but I don't think we fully understand what it means to be able to exalt and rejoice in God. There's nothing higher than this. God has given us Himself the best thing we could ever hope to have. We have. This is a privilege, guys. This is a reward. A gift given to us based on nothing we did. In fact, we deserve the opposite. Our undeserved prize isn't paradise or peace or salvation from wrath, though these are glorious side effects. Our prize is God. God himself is our prize and he paid the ultimate price for this to be our reality let's pray um father god lord um thank you god for what you've done lord um please drill into our brains and into our hearts lord what you did who we are in light of you what it took to save us lord and give us the the heart and desire to want to get to know you more, Lord, through your word, through prayer, through serving the church, Lord. We love you and we need you, God. Help us rejoice in you. Help us to realize the truth of the gospel, Lord, and what you've done for us. Lord, we love you. And in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.